This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Regardless whoever wins the White House, we are facing serious geopolitical and economic challenges that could lead to the next great financial crisis. You need a recognized safe haven asset for your portfolio and IRA, and that asset is gold. Call Goldline and add physical gold to your portfolio or IRA at 800-913-GOLD. Goldline, been helping people diversify their portfolio with gold for over 55 years. Rated A-plus by the BBB. Read Goldline's important risk information, but do it now, because crazy times are coming. 800-913-GOLD. 800-913-GOLD. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. I woke up, remember it being a beautiful day, Didn't know had, normally I had to get up early, so I slept and in. And I just remember I thinking, it's a really nice day out. I sat down, the bell had just rang. I was actually deployed the with the United States Marine Corps at the time. Funny enough, I remember the exact and, uh, outfit I wore. And we had pulled in, sitting in my boss's office, like installing a software update. Uh, so I went up to the library. September 11th, um, changed my life entirely. Hi, my name is Glenn Beck. I was born just outside of Seattle. Washington. I'm Rich Hudson from Lake Forest, Illinois. My name is Jared Rue. I'm from Dallas, Texas. My name is Ashanti. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. And this is what I remember. I'm from the small West Texas town of Abilene, Texas. My name is Zoma. I'm from Plano, Texas. And this is what I remember. My name is Sean and I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And this is what I remember about 9-11. Miles and miles of sunshine. Other than that, it's kind of quiet around the country. We like quiet. It is beautiful outside. Perfect September day with lots of sunshine. Oh, would you look at Washington, huh? It's Tuesday, I'm going outside September eleventh, two thousand one. In the morning, sixty-four degrees at eight forty on this Tuesday, September eleventh. Thousands of New Yorkers will head to the polls today to cast ballots for mayor and a host of other city offices on primary day. Yes. American 11 respond to me now. I am monitoring the hall in which right. flight 11, the flight attendant is advising our rep that the pilot, everyone's been stabbed. Nobody moved. Everything was okay. There's someone in the cockpit that's taken over. You have no idea where he's going? No I'm number idea. three on flight 11. Uh, the plane's in a rapid descent. Hijackers are in the cockpit. Oh, no. We, I think we might have lost her. Understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. Apparently a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center in New York, 8:52. Lots of thick black smoke coming from the top of the World Trade Center. Uh, it looks like the plane struck about um, three quarters of the way up, maybe a little higher. Yeah, I can't. Unbelievable! I've never seen anything like this in my life. I was on the job about five months. I'm a firefighter for a local city, and I just heard on the radio going to another station that uh, an airplane and ran into ready, the and my mom ran into her bathroom. She said, "Sean, my plane father woke me up." said, hey, get out here, there's something on the news, and we're sitting there going through our lessons for the day. She goes, a plane just flew through the World Trade Center. on the televisions, and it was all over the news. I remember looking up on the screen as soon as I walked in the door and seeing smoking buildings. It appeared to be an accident to me. I was supposed to be on the 82nd floor for a 9 o'clock meeting. World Trade Something weird is going on. Yeah. We didn't, the World Trade Center is on fire. So we turned on the TV, and as soon as we turned on the TV, the second Looked at the TV, hit. and that's when the second plane hit. I remember watching the second plane hit the second tower. What the hell is that? 
Holy Everybody was in a panic. People were crying. People didn't quite know what to do. And we were like, okay, what is going on? Just remembering on? the panic and confusion in, in media. So I was thinking, man, what is this going to mean for my son? We had family that worked in the city. Couldn't get through to anybody. You see people sitting down just crying. I just knew that was what I wanted to do in that moment, was get a hold of my son and hang on and to And she's him. explaining to us that the Pentagon had just been hit. There were multiple attacks in New York City and D.C. And when the plane hit the Pentagon. Well, we have another report of uh, a plane down in Pennsylvania. There is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. It just got more serious and more serious and more serious. You know, pieces flying out papers. Oh! Oh, my God! that we were attacked on our home, and that had never happened. A lot of buses were packed, and we were trying to get home and just figure out the day. How are we going to recover from this? I think the freakiest thing out of those, that whole um, week or two was every time you'd leave your house, you'd look up, and there were no planes. The captain of the ship bowed to the Marine commander. He went up there and gave a speech that I will never forget for the rest of my life. And he goes, gentlemen and ladies, December 7th, 1941, was the day of infamy for my father and for all your grandfathers. Today, the world will know that September 11th, 2001, is your day of infamy. So, John, I want to start with you. I told the staff to go out to the green room and alert all of you that we had the trade centers burning uh, in the background. And I asked for that to be done, uh, not to, to tell you guys, but to actually have that put there because we don't show it anymore. So I sent somebody to the green room to tell you guys because it's so rarely seen. I didn't want it to trigger anything, some bad memories from you guys. You two were in the Pentagon, and your story's amazing. Um, your story is truly remarkable um, because you experienced one of the seminal American moments, and you just came to America. Tell me about that. I came to America in February of 2001, 
And Glenn, before I go into my story, I want to say it's an honor being with you, uh, especially your 912 project. That's when I was introduced to you. And, oh, my uh, gosh. I just love the fact that you're such an incredible patriot. Thank you. And so your passion to fight for America is inspirational. Thank you. So I came to America in February of 2001 with $50 in my wallet and two bags. And I came to America to chase dreams. And uh, even before coming to America, I just knew that America is a place where dreams and dreamers collide. So I came here to chase adventure and prosperity, uh, have degrees in business. And that's all I had. And a faith to lean on and a country to put my feet on. You weren't married when you came. I was married. You were married. Yes. So you're here. Did you come with a job? No, I came. To, I didn't have any job. Uh, my wife is Indian by birth. We had met in India, but she had moved to America when she was four. So we lived in India for a year after we got married, and after that we moved here. Okay. And um, you came. How did you both get a job in the World Trade Center? It has to be God. Uh, my wife first finds work. She started working on the 71st floor of the South Tower. And I'm frantically looking for work, and no one would employ me because I have no U.S. work experience. And one day there's a job fair at the World Trade Center, the Marriott World Trade Center. And the girl who was interviewing me, she said, uh, I, want to give you, I want you to give this company a shot because your wife, wife works there. It'll be great to work along with her in the same building or the building next to it. So my interview was on the, on the 81st floor of the North Tower. And uh, what got me was the view. She pulled down the blinds, and I see the Statue of Liberty. And for an immigrant, you know, your first job, uh, working in America and to be working in a building like the World Trade Center and to be seeing that side, I thought this would be a great shot to start with. So you went to work there, 81st floor, South Tower. North Tower. North Tower. Yes. Your wife was in the South Tower, yes. 70, 71st floor. 71st South. floor. Um, where did the, do you, do you remember what, where, what, what floor yes, did the, they impact? The major impact was about 10 floors above us. But, but part of the wing of the plane tears in through our floor because the angle at which the plane went in with part of the wing of American Flight 11 that was what flying at 440 miles an hour, carrying 10,000 gallons of jet fuel. What did that feel like when it hit? The building shook violently, and, but we thought it was a small commuter plane uh, that hit the towers. But uh, the, the building shook violently. Jet fuel made its way into our floor. Fire breaks out around us, walls collapsing. And as we look up, there's a huge crater. We can actually see 10 floors directly above us, a picture of twisted steel and cable. And so you immediately start to evacuate? Yes, there's 28 of us on that floor and our faces on the carpet as the building is shaking violently. After about a few minutes, someone from our floor says, we've got to beat this fire and look for a way out of this burning building. So we started crawling away for a while until we get to the stairwell. And then we start running down the stairwell. Because it was smoky, I It was smoky, yes. There was a fire on almost every floor because jet fuel had made its way down the elevator shaft and fire was on even the lower floors of the towers. But when I get to the stairwell, Glenn, my thoughts are about my wife. She's four months pregnant. And uh, I knew she was in the other tower. She had called me saying, I'm almost there. I'll see you soon. So I'm trying to reach her through my cell phone. She said, I'm almost there. Meaning, I'm coming into yes, work. coming to work. She came after you yes, did. Yes, yes. And so you haven't spoken to her since... The tower hit, was hit, yes. ...was hit. So you, she's over in the other floor, and you are assuming that she's coming down when you're coming down. Correct. And it takes you how long to get to, to the out? It took me an hour and 20 minutes to come down 81 floors. Okay. You have to be thinking, how far along pregnant was she? She's four months pregnant. You have to be thinking, this is not good. No, I, I, I just knew that if she was in the building, if she had made her way into the towers, and because we had heard another explosion, this was a second plane crashing the second tower, 
I just felt that if she had already made her way in, there was no way she's going to come down. So I'm borrowing all the cell phones of people running down with me, but cell phones would not work. Um, how, what, what was the... Uh, what was the shaft like, the the stairwell? Yeah, the stairwell wasn't too broad. It's good enough for us to be running down into files. But the most amazing thing was there there was people of all backgrounds, of all color, of all nationalities. But I just saw the best of people come out that day. And uh, when we go to the 43rd or the 44th floor, and I think, Glenn, that's the most moving side of that day. Uh, we see firemen, policemen, one by one making their way up. And as we watch these men making their way up, we would ask ourselves, why are they going up? We had seen far on almost every floor, and we had no idea then that, uh, that these men were literally making their way up to their death. I often tell people when I share my story, uh, on 9-11, the worst form of evil came and attacked America. And the first response didn't really come to the military. The first response came to these men. They showed the world what this country was made up of, that are men and women willing to lay down their lives so that others like me could be around to be sharing our stories. So we high-fived them saying, you guys are real heroes, God be with you, and we continued our descent down. No concept at all. Nobody was talking about, everybody was still thinking you'd somehow or another put the fire out and maybe there might be people alive on the plane, maybe. I mean, is that kind of the attitude? That the, Yes, you're right, Leanne. They were thinking, well, we thought the people on the planes would have probably perished. But I remember someone saying, it's going to take a few weeks before we get back to be working in these towers. So I remember that conversation. Uh, clueless about how big this tragedy was or the intent of those that, that flew that plane into the towers. There's something called the normalcy bias. Are you guys familiar with the normalcy bias? Normalcy bias actually caused a lot of people to die um, on 9-11 in the World Trade Center. And um, you'll hear stories of people that say, I was with my friend, we were in the stairwell, and they said, oh, I forgot to turn off my computer. Oh, I forgot to lock my door of my office. Oh, I forgot my purse. And they went back and then they never got out they were looking for something normal did you yes my story is very similar i went back i actually went back uh to call my wife cell phones weren't working so i looked for a re-entry back in the building from the stairwell and my friends wouldn't let me go and then one of the guys said what's life for this guy without his wife so i entered an office there was nobody there grabbed a cell phone and called up as many people that i could and I told them what was going on. I said, uh, and they said, yes, they, they just turned the television on. And I said, here's my wife's cell phone. Call her. I'm trying to make my way down. And that what actually saved my life was the buddy, the friend of mine who was holding on to me, um, he found a firefighter on the lower floors. And he said, my buddy's on the 53rd floor. Make sure you get him out. So I'm sitting in this. It was a bank. It was an Asian bank. And I'm sitting there just wasting time. On the 51st. On the 50, 53rd floor. When I hear a firefighter yell out, saying there's somebody here get out of this place. And that's when I, you know, I just woke up and I just decided to continue my way down. Wow. Um, we'll get to your wife here in a second. Um, you get out. When do you get out? I come down 81 floors and I get to the plaza level. I'm still in the building. We were told to go down to the lowest level, the concourse level. And anyway, Glenn, that's my, that's my story begins. I walk towards the south tower thinking I might find my wife. And that's when the ground begins to shake. Uh, felt like it was an earthquake. I've been sucked into some kind of vacuum. Fifteen, twenty people around me, we just huddled together. And, uh, you know, I found Jesus in India. I, a, a missionary led me to Jesus. And in that moment, facing death, I said, God, if I'm going to die, where am I going? Heaven becomes so real to me. Until then, I tell people I was a closet Christian. I would never be vocal or public about my faith. 
But that moment, a verse from the Bible comes to my mind. It's found in the book of Romans. It says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So 20 people with me, and that verse is playing on my mind. I started crying out Jesus, and I asked those people to pray with me. So we prayed for a few minutes. The building is collapsing, and we moved from the huddle. I'm lying there with my face flat on the ground. Where are you in the physical? I'm literally, it's a story of just God's incredible. Is this, is this where, the, the, where the ball is, the, 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 that the plaza was actually the where the ball, ball is. In the, yeah, yeah, that's a so plaza. So you were around there. Yes, this is a concourse level, literally in front of the towers. I'm still in the building on the concourse level, where the uh, you know the uh, you would have these these revolving doors that right, lead towards right. the towers. So I'm right there, and the and I'm buried there, thinking I'm going to die. And after a while, I feel someone pull me, um, and I begin to pull him. And uh, the closer we got to each other, I realized this is an FBI agent. He says he's with the FBI. So I asked him this question: Do you know Jesus? He said he did. And we both start praying, saying, God, if it's your will, show us a way out of this place. We cannot wow. breathe. Uh, but something miraculous happens, a red light flashing to the soot. And we start crawling our way towards the light. Wait, the building has collapsed? The building has already imploded. The, the, okay. the South Tower has. The North Tower was still standing. Okay. The South Tower has already imploded. And that was a debris. Um, and uh, so we start walking our way towards, falling, uh, crawling our way towards that place. But my story takes another turn when this FBI agent, he let go of my hand. And he said, I got to go back, get more people. He runs back into the North Tower. The ground shakes again. The North Tower implodes. He's actually the only FBI agent to have died that day. He's left behind four children and a wife. Wow. He, he saved my life. Have you met his family? Yes, I've met his wife. And, um, and I've met his wife. And it's just a story of a, an American who was uh, so driven with sense of duty and purpose. He was driving. He was a bomb technician for the FBI before 9-11 happened, following the trail of Al-Qaeda after the embassies got bombed in Tanzania and Kenya. So he was driving in the, in the city when he heard on the radio what was going on, and he knew it was a terrorist attack. So he ran into the building, and he was relaying information to the FBI control office for an hour. And then he felt like uh, saving lives was more important than passing information. So he was there rescuing, pulling people out, and he laid down his life that day. When the first tower collapsed, that's your wife's tower? Yes. And you... What did you think? I thought it was all over. Even after I got out for hours, I thought it was all over. And I'm angry at God. The F-16 fighter jets are flying over us. And on the streets, we had no access to TV or radio to know what's going on. We thought America was uh, being taken over and some foreign country was bombing the city. And, uh, You're our, still in lower Manhattan. I'm still in lower Manhattan. And, uh, and we were choking and all that stuff, debris, thick Horrible. In, in downtown. For a while, I remember getting into a bus just to breathe for yeah. a little bit. And, uh, and then uh, late that day, my cell phone rings for the very first time. And it's my wife on the other side. And it was an amazing moment. Uh, I said hello, and she says hello, and she hears my voice. But her first words to me were, babe, are you alive? She wanted to go to work early. In fact, she worked for Morgan Stanley. Everything that she did had to do with coming into work at 8.40 every day. So that morning, she comes into the towers, but the last E-train that made its way into the, uh, that morning into the towers, by then the North Towers hit. So she's pushed out of the building, she gets out, and she sees men and women jumping out of the building, bodies landing oh around God. her. And to make things worse for her, my last working day, I, 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 I woke my wife up, she had almost gone to bed, and that night, September 10th night, I said, I did something I need to tell you today. She says, what is it? She said, I said, well, I signed up a life insurance policy today. So if I were to die, this is the money you're going to get. This is who you need to call. The day before. On September 10th. And she, so all that, she's like, we're young. Why are you thinking about death? I said, that's something. We'll never talk about it again. But I had to tell you this. The next day was 9-11. You called a friend that morning and said, 
what? I had been in America in six, for six months, and God had blessed me. I was rising up the corporate ladder, but Glenn, I was just chasing stuff. I know you'll appreciate it because I know your story, how God rewrote your story. And um, so for me, I was just chasing stuff in America, and I, that morning I was sense, feeling the sense of, is this why I moved here? Is it all about stuff you gather and acquire? And I wrote an email at 8.05 in the morning from the towers to a friend of mine in my home church in New Jersey saying, Tom, something's happening to me this morning. I know there's a call of God upon my life. These last six months I've been chasing stuff. I can't explain to you what I'm going through right now. I want to be chasing after that which is on God's heart. So I send that email from the towers at 8.05 and after about 40 minutes this plane comes crashing. So I often joke about that by saying, I think God reads email and he reads uh, classified wow. and unclassified email. Wow, amazing. Now let me go down to Washington and hear your story. You, you were the picture of the Pentagon, where the crater is. Yes, sir. That's your office. Yes, sir. The part of the building, I had a, an E-ring window office, which is overlooking the helipad. Um, both my general and my uh, SES-5, the civilian equivalent of a, of a flag officer, um, we're out of the building that day uh, over at the Doubletree. Um, so it was myself, Cheryl, and Sandy holding the fort down. What, were you, what, what, what did you do there? Uh, at the time of the attack, uh, I was on the Army staff, and I was the military aide to the Deputy Assistant Chief of Staff for Installation Management. So I'm an aide-de-camp to a flag officer. Um, but like all lieutenant colonels, you know, we're all just galley slaves inside, <laughs> the, inside the Pentagon. Um, that morning, at, by 8 o'clock, it's just Sandy, Cheryl, and myself. And about uh, 9 o'clock, Sandy gets a call from her daughter, Sam, up in New York. says, hey, Mom, turn the TV on. The World Trade Center is by plane. And we step into Miss Minig's office, turn the TV on, see the North Tower, the huge hole. Media broadcasts are saying, you know, an apparent accident, things that... There's that little voice in the back of your head saying... Knowing where Kennedy, LaGuardia, and yeah. Newark are, and you know, and then of course, and I, I, I remember Katie Couric. I remember hearing Katie Couric saying, it, it, "We think it, it was a small plane." And I remember, I'm, I know nothing yeah. at this time about planes or anything, and I'm looking at that going, "That's not a small plane yeah. hole." Yeah, it's a huge gaping hole, and the, you know, the black smoke is just pouring out of the building, and. Uh, We'd watch the events unfold, second towers hit, and that would confirm for us that the first was no accident. Right. We'd did, kneel hang down. Hang on just a second. Yes, sir. So the Pentagon, they didn't go into lockdown right away? There was no thought that we were next. I mean, in fact, one of the, the uh, I don't know if you want to call it a premonition or just, after the second plane hits, Sandy's daughter calls Sam back, you know, and says, Mom, get out of the building. And there was no thought that we were next. Um, Did she get out of the building? No, we, not Tell alive. Not alive. But um, about 9.35, after having said a prayer with Sandy and Cheryl, recognizing that it's our first responders that are going to do a lot of life-saving, but ultimately the Lord's going to do the bulk of the life-saving that day. We continued to watch events unfold. I'd had my morning Coke, that jolt of caffeine that... Uh-huh. You know, when you're going to be at ramming speed in about uh, 15 minutes, yeah. you know, you got to have your caffeine. 
at 9.35 or so, I stepped out to go to the men's restroom. And I walked through the part of the building, if you recall that in your mind, the video of the portion of the Pentagon that collapses. Mm -hmm. My window is four windows to the left of what crumbles. But where I was, was the window to the right where it remains hinged. So I'm about 15 to 20 yards from where the nose of the aircraft hits the building. So we'll go into the men's restroom. I walk through what will be the impact point, go to the men's restroom, come out of the men's restroom, and I'm walking back and I'm about to turn right back into what is now about just in a nanosecond about to be the impact point. And Flight 77 makes penetration first and second floor level um, at about 530 miles an hour. What did you see? Uh, I did not see anything commensurate with an aircraft other than flame. I mean, it, in the first thing I heard was, I mean, I, I've been around a lot of loud things as a professional military officer, particularly as a kid growing up in Fort Worth when Carswell was a B-52 base and mm-hmm. you were in the south parking lot of Ridgemar mm-hmm. Mall and one of those things was just a few feet above you yeah, and all yeah, eight yeah. engines cranked. Um, this was instantly deafening. And in the, so I thought bomb, but in the next nanosecond before I've even uh, taken the next step, uh, you feel the vacuum, the concussion, the blast. So it's an instantaneous light in charge of my faculties, hear the sound, and at the next nanosecond I'm up at the peril of my life, burning, hallways black except for the ambient light of the flame that is consuming me and consuming the building. And those moments seem to last an eternity as you're struggling to get to your feet. There's no way to know which ways to safety, which ways to danger. The word terrorism really is, the, the best description is it's that terror that, that grabs your heart and the panic when you know you're facing a life-threatening injury and you can't escape it. You're engulfed in flames. Yeah. It's my understanding that it was... Jet fuel. Oh, yeah, yeah. My back has this, if you took a bucket of liquid, threw it on the wall, and you have the drip. I've got spots on my back, pieces of the leg where the drops look like bullet holes. So it's jet fuel, and I know enough about jet fuel, you don't put it out. Um, So you don't know which way to go. You're on fire, and... You are you. You look remarkable. I can see it on your ears and your hands, yeah. um, but you're not in remarkable shape. Take your suit off. Correct. Um, you would certainly see the scars. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've. You know, I won't tell you what it's like to be the only man sitting in a plastic surgeon's waiting room, but right. uh, <laughs> there are moments of humor that. So uh, yeah, but so you can't put yourself out, and you can't even drop and roll because you don't. It's irrelevant. Why? Because the whole building's burning around me. Um, There comes that moment that I'm struggling to survive. I mean, the Lord creates, he knits every one of us in the womb with that zest for life, that that survival instinct. And, but I came to that moment and it's the hardest, there's no words in the English language to give you the emotion and the gravity of what's happening in that moment where you come to that point, that precipice that says, okay, Lord, I got it. This is a horrible, ghastly way to be called into eternity. And in that moment, I did what we in the military are never trained to do. I quit. 
I surrendered, I collapsed to the floor, and I waited to die. That minute or two lasted an eternity. I bet. You're still on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But at the same token, when I collapse to that floor and wait for that feeling of the soul departing the body, I am at peace with the quiet and the comfort of knowing where I'll spend eternity. And, you know, it, it's, uh, there's a lot of my friends that may not have had that opportunity to make that decision. Um, I, I, I could go into more detail, Glenn. I, I, there's much more for me to describe of what a great miracle it is of the Lord that, that I'm still here. Um, Tell me about your friends. What happened to them? If you would have been in the office, if you hadn't have gone to the bathroom, would you be alive? Well, the Lord could have spared my life no Anywhere. matter where. Sure. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, I'm the only survivor in the E-ring at the crash site. Wow. Um, Sandy and Cheryl were both killed from the pathology exams or the the things that I was told and saw uh, in the aftermath of several months later, um, Sandy died instantly. Cheryl, uh, meaning there was no smoke in Sandy's lungs. Right. Cheryl had some period of time that she survived. If you look at the, a picture of the Pentagon, the left engine of the 757 enters Caddy Corner, first floor from the window that we're in, had I not stepped out, the left engine of the 757 goes underneath Sandy and Cheryl. You met an FBI agent who just happened to be there. FBI. You just said, did you hear that? He just said, I didn't hear a plane. What do you say to those people? That jet fuel tastes exactly like it smells. Tell me your story. My story is much simpler. It's an election year this year, but it was an election year in 2001, too, in Virginia. And I was at a diner working for at a meeting talking about how we were going to win a gubernatorial election for a guy I had worked for four years prior. Completely off duty. We saw CNN, the CNN report, go off about a plane going into the World Trade Center. And I literally... He had a page about New York being an issue, and I called a partner who I had worked with, Ricky, and said, hey, we need to get to the station at my volunteer firehouse. Let's get geared up, because they're going to need help up there. This is going to be a big event. So that's where my day started. The thinking you were going to New York. Absolutely. We were talking about it earlier in the green room. The ICU that was treating him was clearing out its burn patients to get ready for the number of burn patients that were coming down from there, they were getting cleared out across the country. Washington wasn't an attack. And I got lucky in that respect in that as soon as the hair started popping up on the back of my neck, my wife <clears throat> of two years at the time was not pregnant, but I called her. Just She was in D.C. She was close to the White House, closer to the Capitol and Pentagon and other buildings than I would have liked her. And cell phones were still working. And I said, go to your mom's. So when I hear your story 
about your wife and wondering, I feel like that was the best part of my day is knowing we'd communicated early when I was first on the ambulance with lights going that I wasn't worried about her anymore. And I could kind of set that aside. But then she was worried about you. Which public safety spouses are every day. What if this is the last time I hug you or kiss you? And that's a fact of life in public safety, whether we're talking about 9-11, the Dallas shootings, Katrina, San Bernardino, or any other. So you made it to the Pentagon? Correct. What was the condition when you got there? Again, the words Brian used, I think, are perfect. Jet A fuel has a pungent odor and almost taste that you can just smell. Uh, I remember driving in on the highway. You could see a plume of smoke. It's kind of a common theme. Fire departments get dispatched for house fires all the time. And as we're going, we get there and we find there's no house fire. When you see smoke in the air, normally we radio that to each other to let people know this is probably a working fire. But you didn't have to. The plume of smoke was so large. The damage to that building was just like you would never imagine. From there... Again, I can't imagine his experience because it's happening suddenly. For a firefighter, you train for it. You don't go into a burning building. You go and uh, take an extinguisher to a, you know, a hay bale first. And then you put the hay bale inside with a fire extinguisher. And then you, like military training, you carry a gun. Then you shoot the gun. Then you run with a gun. Then you run with a gun shooting. But it's a much different experience. And I guess I might take a little bit of exception with his comments, not about the FBI agent, but I guarantee my brothers in New York were not climbing those stairs planning on dying, but yeah. planning on finding people oh, I know. to bring out. And I know he, when those things came down, we just I, I, I knew when because I, I was at home, I was getting ready to go in and I knew when the second one hit. I called my producer after the first one. I said, something's wrong. This is not, that's not, that wasn't a mistake. You don't, a pilot does everything they can to avoid that. Put it in the water, put it anywhere, but not there. And then the second one hit and I called them up and I said, we're at war. But I remember watching them come down. And for as amazing as the planes hitting were seeing them come down changed our world just changed our world changed changed my perspective on everything i remember going that night getting off work late and we went to an outback to go eat we were all tired and we just wanted to go eat someplace. We went to an outback. And the few people that were there, we all just kind of hugged each other in the parking lot. And uh, we, we went in and we, we didn't know what was coming our way. We've seemed to, for, we have forgotten how fragile freedom was that day somehow or another we've grown arrogant again we i thought we i thought we got it 
how did we forget? You you started a program. Five years ago, I had the privilege of throwing out the first pitch at uh, the Yankees-Angels game on the 10th anniversary of 9-11 with two guys from New York Fire who I'd never met and three Navy SEALs. During that experience, there were 8-year-old and 7-year-old kids who were asking for our autograph. And I'll sign an autograph for anybody, though I don't <laughs> think I'm deserving. But it started a conversation about these are kids who don't even understand. They weren't alive for 9-11. How can they put that into perspective? How can they relate? It, but again, when you ask the question, how do we forget? How do we forget D-Day and what our grandfathers did to secure Normandy so that we could have a foothold to go into Germany and stop that tyranny? How many of us have forgotten about Pearl Harbor? I think about, uh, obviously, the World Trade Centers were attacked, but they were also attacked in 1993, and it took less than 10 years to forget in between those two events. But one thing that happened in between those two events was my grandfather went to Czechoslovakia, and I remember when he came home, he had all these pictures of kids asking for him to sign autographs, and they were high school kids from Czechoslovakia, and they were, he was signing autographs because he had been on a B-17 crew and wow. liberated... Eastern Europe 50 years ago. Wow. But I think that story is important to me, but I don't know how important it is to my children because they didn't live it. So, so tell me what your organization does. Cause my kids were, I don't know, 10 and 12, maybe nine and 11, something like that. And, um, I was completely immersed because of what I do in this. My ex-wife, where my kids were living, said they are not to see any of this. I don't want their childhood disrupted by this. They're not to see it. When my girls turned um, 16, 17, I took them to Flight 93, the movie. And I watched them watch the movie because they had never seen any of this footage. And they were completely traumatized by it. It was bizarre to watch because they knew what it was. But they both lived in New York and had never seen any of the footage. I think we have, it worked out, I think, with my kids. But I think we've done ourselves a horrible disservice by locking these images in a vault and not sharing them with our kids. As you're doing the work you do to share the story of 9-11 with kids, what have you found? It's been amazing to me how difficult it is to get into school sometimes. And is this a political discussion or is this a history discussion uh, in fear that we're going to bash one group or another rather than talk about success stories from that day? When we put the organ- so you have a hard time even getting into schools. There are definitely times when we try to get into a school and we're into an area and we, we say, hey, it's the beginning of the school year or we're worried about where you're going to go with it. This is a political discussion and there are just it's not a priority. And that's unfortunate. It, it bothers me from the perspective. Again, I think about my grandfather and 50 years later, he's signing autographs. But that personal perspective that he held and shared as part of the greatest generation now really gets dismissed and it gets degraded to just a few pages on a history book. When the kids read about the liberation of Europe, they don't have that 
personal connection to the event. We never went back. My kids, my two kids that were born after 9-11, they have no concept of who we were before. We never went back. Do we ever get our freedoms back? Well, what was it? I think it was Adams that said liberties once lost or never regained. Um, I, you know, putting those pictures up is not just a reminder of the day and the loss of 3,000 lives. The most brutal reminder is that we live in a fallen, sinful world. And there is evil out there that intends us harm. Enemies do not capitulate because of what you're capable of doing or what you've done. They capitulate because of what they believe you're willing to do. And if we're not willing to remind ourselves of it, there's no way we'll ever be willing to do what it'll take a friend to of, defeat that culture. So many people will say that um, you'll never stop Islamists. They'll never stop. But as I did some research, along with David Barton, friend of yeah. ours, yeah. Yeah. Um, on World War II here recently, if you look at the Japanese, the Japanese in World War II were at least as brutal as ISIS, perhaps more so. Um, and they stopped. They stopped. We just have to be committed and not lose ourselves along the way. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. These acts of mass murder were intended to frighten our nation into chaos and retreat. But they have failed. One thing from our that day that strong. I would pass on to future One generations. thing I would probably tell and like to pass on. I think the thing that I'd like for them to know. I want is my children to know that life is a very precious thing. I think thing. about my daughter. She's eight months old. So I would tell her, you know, this is what I saw. This is what I saw happen. What I would tell her is that don't live in fear, but live in remembrance. If you saw the first responders that were there, um, if you saw the way the people responded for the plane that was... Um, uh, one of the strongest memories I have of, of the day and, and the period after is this unique feeling of unification of the country that we just, we get so rarely. I think how we rallied around one another right after One that. thing that I really remember about that was how everybody was unified. I think I would highlight President Bush's speech um, at Ground Zero. And the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon. There was no black, no white, no Democrat, no Republican after that. And that, you know, right after that, it was, we all were one American. Made me proud to know that I was serving my country. Made me proud to know that I was American. You know, when we respond in conflict uh, or to tragedy, we respond well. Don't live in fear. Things will happen, bad things happen to all people. It's how you handle it. Two dozen ambulances and medics from Long Island, all volunteers. A very touching sight, volunteers waiting to help, praying and hoping that our nation will recover. Men literally walking hand in hand, using their hands, using their picks, using whatever they can do to get through that rubble. Family, friends just trying to help and trying to support each other through all of this. How important it is to spread love uh, to all. 
even when we disagree, especially when we disagree. Between the two parties seem to fall away. Everything changed because of what happened that day, and they shouldn't forget that. It shows what this country can do when it has its mind set to something. There are very bad people out there that want to do very bad things, and it's really up to those that stand for the light to stand up to those that stand for darkness. The Archbishop of Canterbury said, the Twin Towers in New York have gone down in fire and flames, but the September sun still shines on the Statue of Liberty, and it's a beacon for, for the whole world. September 11 will go down in our history as a day to remember. I would pass on this. The next day, we were better than we had ever been. The first day we were scared. The second day we were Americans and we were amazing people. Glenn Beck, the Blaze Radio Network. Regardless, whoever wins the White House, we are facing serious geopolitical and economic challenges that could lead to the next great financial crisis. You need a recognized safe haven asset for your portfolio and IRA, and that asset is gold. Call Goldline and add physical gold to your portfolio or IRA at 800-913-GOLD. Goldline, been helping people diversify their portfolio with gold for over 55 years. Rated A-plus by the BDB. Read Goldline's important risk information, but do it now, because crazy times are coming. 800-913-GOLD. 800-913-GOLD.